He is worthy. Amen. I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter as we return to our verse-by-verse exposition of this instructional book for the church. And as you're turning there, I just want to ask you a question. Has anyone ever treated you unfairly? I think we all can attest to the reality that we've, from time to time, have encountered some form of injustice in our life, some sort of unfairness. Someone has done something to us or to somebody that we care about that that we see as, as something that is unfair to us. And besides for personal experiences, we've seen in in the national media that injustice seems to take center stage over the last several years, especially Um, injustices that have been been caused either at at the hands of of government or at the hands of um, injustice carried out by officers or injustices carried out by the public towards some of our government officials. And uh, we we just seem to be plagued with injustice all around us. But the reality is that as long as sinful men, sinful people inhabit the earth, there will be injustice. It's just the reality of living in a fallen world with fallen people. So the question is not how do we do away with injustice, but how do we deal with it? And I'm not talking about on the national level and the injustices that, that occur, but on a personal level, because that's what Peter deals with in our text for this morning. He's going to deal with injustices that occur on a personal, on a personal level. And we're going to look at how God is able to work through unfairness and injustice in our life. He's able to work to glorify Himself through that. I don't, sometimes I think when we, when we have something unfair happen to us, our first thought is not, hey man, God's going to get glory for this. That's just not how we think about it. Our, our first response is usually one of anger. Our pride's been wounded. And uh, we, we just want to retaliate. And, but we need to stop and think about what would God have us do? And how can we glorify God through what we're dealing with? I want to share with you a message I've entitled this morning, Injustice and Glory. You know, Peter wrote this letter to a, a group of Christians who were suffering injustice. They were being persecuted for their faith. Some of them were being fed to lions. Some of them were being burned alive. Some of them were being imprisoned. And Peter, said, and Peter has been writing to them from the very beginning. He wants to first, he wants to remind them of whose they are, who they belong to, of the promises that they have in Christ. But he also gives them very practical instruction for living out their faith so that they might be witnesses to an otherwise dark world and that they might glorify God in their suffering. Would you stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's holy and perfect word as we read from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the truths that you have intentioned for us, that we might be more like Christ through the instruction of your word. And we ask it in his name. Amen. You can be seated. As I approach this text, there's four primary truths that I want to share with you from this passage of Scripture. First, we're going to look at the essence of the exhortation. Then, the expansion of expectation followed by the example of Christ and the experience of grace. We're not going to get to all of that this morning. Those of you that have been here before, you, you probably figured that out when you saw the text was as long as it was. We're not going to get to it all this morning. But we're going to, we're going to cover as much as we can and we'll come back and finish it this evening. But I first want you to see the essence of the exhortation just in the first few verses here, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Peter is addressing a, a, a unique situation in the first century. Um, the, the church was beginning to spread. People, the gospel was going forth throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the known world. And a lot of the people that were being saved according to God's will and according to Christ's mercy were household servants and slaves. And, and, uh, but also, as the Bible attests, it wasn't just the poor and the lowly that were being saved. It was also masters and, and people of authority and people um, respected in their communities. And, and there was, so in the churches, you have both slaves and masters coming together to worship, and it created kind of a unique situation in the culture. And uh, we see some of that being expressed uh, in Paul's letter um, to Philemon. We see Paul addressing um, his friend Philemon, um, who had had a slave run away from him by the name of Onesimus. And, and Paul writes to him and says, listen, I found your runaway slave. He came to me. He's been saved. He's a brother in Christ. He's been useful to me, but I'm sending him back to you, understanding that I want you to take care of him. Understanding, I, I understand that, that he was yours, but now he's your brother. And so we see Paul addressing that in the book of Philemon. But it was just the reality of the first century where you have this unique social conflict going on in the church. You see, slavery in the first century wasn't about race. It wasn't about um, ethnicity. It was, it was purely a social construct based on economic status. 
People who couldn't afford to uh, support themselves oftentimes sold themselves into slavery. Um, and sometimes they, sometimes they were born into it, sometimes they, were, they uh, voluntarily went into it. But, but the, the reality is, is you have this, this reality in the culture of slaves and masters, but all of them recognizing that before God, they were all equal. Because it, when you come to the gospel, when you come to the cross of Christ, you are confronted with this great equalizer between all people. Because all people are guilty before God. God doesn't care what kind of political position you may hold. He doesn't care how much money you have in your bank. He doesn't care whether you're Jewish or Greek or Egyptian or Australian or whatever. He doesn't, he doesn't care whether you're white or black. He, he, he only cares about your heart. He only cares about your heart. And, and so, at the cross, we find this great equalizer. Because he tells us that we have all transgressed his commands. And we are all liable to his judgment. And Christ came to provide an escape from judgment. And more than that, a restored relationship between his creation and himself. And he did that through the blood of Jesus Christ. So now knowing that all are equal in God's sight, that is, we are all sinners in need of redemption, and that Christ came to die for people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, every class of people, so in the reality of the gospel, and in the context of the church, what do you do with these social constructs? Do you stand up for your rights and rebel against those in authority? That's <clears throat> what we might expect the answer to be. But it's not the answer that we're given in Scripture. It's not how God would have us deal with injustice. Instead, it seems that God is more interested in working from the inside out. You see, whenever you force people to change, whenever there's coercion involved in changing habits and in changing ideas, you, 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 you're only creating a false sense of change. God knows that if real change is going to take place, it has to take place in the heart first. And so God uses the gospel, and he uses the witness of his people to change the hearts of other people to create lasting change in the world for his honor and glory. God is more interested in our hearts than our habits. He doesn't want to change our habits. He wants to change our hearts. So Peter he exhorts those in the church to submit to the authority of their masters. And it's interesting, this, this word servants here in, in verse 18, it's, it's the, the Greek word oiketes, and it refers to one of the house. It is one of a household servant. Um, it can refer to someone who is of the house or of the family even, but not one who is born into it. It doesn't carry the same emphasis on the servile relationship as the Greek word doulos, which is often translated as slave or sometimes servant in the New Testament. 
And I think that Peter may have been trying to kind of de-emphasize the separation between a slave and his master, while at the same time providing a proper response for them to react to those who were in authority over them. And so he gives us this, this instruction to be submissive to your masters. And notice he doesn't say, be submissive to those who are in authority when they're good to you. He says, whether they're good, whether they're gentle, or whether they're unreasonable, you need to be submissive to them. He basically says, it, it, it doesn't really matter if you feel like you've been offended. It doesn't really matter if you feel like you've been mistreated, because Ultimately, God is in control, and He is going to use your situation for His glory if you will trust Him in it. You know, I think sometimes God wants something different from us than what we try to demonstrate in our life. Peter understood that the testimony of our life is not one of showing about how strong we are. It's not about showing how, how good we are or how independent we are. That's how a lot of times we go through life. We want to prove our worth. We want to prove our independence. We want to prove our strength. We want to prove our ability to endure. And God says, stop. Stop trying to prove yourself and trust me. Do what I've told you to do. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're needy. He knows that, that we need Him. And He wants other people to recognize that within ourselves. Because the reality is when you look at people, you might see people that you think are strong, but the reality is if, if you're honest and do an honest evaluation of anybody, you know that they're weak. You know that they're susceptible to fail. No matter how good somebody is, no matter how uh, righteous they seem to be, no matter how much good they seem to do, they have weaknesses, and they will fail you, and they will do things that you wish they hadn't done, and they will upset you because people will fail you because, because they're people. And people are weak. And, and God says, look, stop trying to do it all on your own, but show people that you can trust me and that I can work in you, and then I will be glorified for what I accomplish through your life. So, you may be wondering, well, what does that have to do with us now? Because obviously, I don't think we have any, anybody a household slave? I'm just, just wondering. Some of you may feel like it, right? If you've got kids, you know, you feel like you're a household slave. Um, but, you know, typically in our culture, we don't have a lot of household servants. I mean, I, I don't, personally, I don't know anybody wealthy enough to hire servants to have, live in their house, and, and I don't know anybody that is one. But, uh, but it's just not something that we typically deal with. So, how does this apply to us in the 21st century? Well, I think there's a very direct correlation between the, the way, the relationship that a, a house servant and his master would have that we have today between employees and employers. We have people who are in authority over us whom we have to serve in order to, to, to make a living, right? And that's the same as a household servant. Why were they there? They were there to make a living. They were there to have food and, and housing provided for them in order that they might live. And so today, we look at this in the employee-employer relationship. And Excuse me. And so, th this is where this applies. So, I would ask you, anybody ever work for a difficult boss? Right? Anybody ever have a boss that think didn't, didn't treat them fairly? Didn't, didn't give them that, you know, 
kept, kept passing you over that, for that promotion that you deserved. Ever, you know, you have those things that, you know, whatever you did, it just wasn't good enough for him. Well, let me just ask you this, just, and I'm not asking for answers, but just kind of rhetorically think to yourself, how did you respond when you were treated poorly by your employer? And then, then, or maybe, maybe you're in that position now, and you've recently been treated poorly by your employer. So what do you do? How do you honor God in that relationship? God says you submit to their authority over you. You, you, you do what they ask you to do, and you do it in a way that honors Him. You don't do it because they're deserving, you do it because God is deserving. You do it not because you like them, not because you're pleased with the situation, but because you know that by doing the right thing in the right way, that God can be glorified through your response. And we do it because our text, the Bible, it tells us we do it because it finds favor with God. In verse 19, he says, for this finds favor. And actually, he ends in verse number 20. He says, he says this finds favor. So from 19 to 20, he's talking about the favor that we find in God from enduring, enduring difficulty at the hands of those in authority. When we feel like we're being treated unjustly, God gives us grace. Actually, the word translated as favor in the New American Standard is the same Greek word that is translated many other places as grace. It is, it is, a, it is a gracious thing for us to endure hardship for the sake of Christ. It, it is a demonstration of God's grace in us when we extend grace to those around us. It's all about grace. It's all about demonstrating the faithfulness of God's gracious love as we demonstrate grace and as we trust in grace. God is glorified through our perseverance because grace is on display. We don't feel like being gracious a lot of times. It's difficult to show grace when we've been wounded. But when we do, but when we do, it honors God. It glorifies Him. Not when we're treated poorly by our employers because we've done something wrong. We don't get our, if we don't get our work done and, and haven't turned reports in on time and the boss says, you know what, you're going to have to work on Saturday because you didn't get this stuff done and, and you know, you don't necessarily get a good report or a good reputation, rather, from working extra hours when you've done it because you weren't getting your work done, right? And, in fact, look here in verse number 19. He says, he says, for this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward a God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there 
if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. That word credit in verse 20, it has to do with, with, a, with a report, with rumors, with fame, with glory. It has to do with what, what people say about you. So if you've done something wrong and, then you, and you're forced to endure that punishment, that doesn't produce a good report about you. But if you endure and if you do what's right and if you honor God and if you have a good attitude and you do the things that are pleasing in God's sight, even when you don't want to, even when you don't feel like it, even when it feels like the only thing you really want to do is walk out. But if you submit to that authority and if you honor God in that, that produces in us a good report, a good, <clears throat> good reputation. It demonstrates our trust in God. So, in the situations where we are unfairly treated, we need to think about what honors God in this situation. And if you think about it, I mean, it doesn't take a whole long time. You don't have to, you know, spend days and days thinking about this. In fact, if you, if you are walking regularly with Christ, if you're reading His Word, if you're growing in faith, and it shouldn't be that difficult to know what God wants from you in any given situation. Because when you know his word, you know his character, and you know what he wants from you. You live holy, and you make decisions. And so, when, when difficulty comes and you say, all you have to do is just stop and ask yourself, what does God want from me in this situation? And then do that. And that demonstrates our faith in God's purposes and faithfulness to his word above our, even our own understanding. I mean, isn't that what we learn from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 tells us, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. See, a lot of times God asks us to do things that we don't understand. A lot of times we're dealing with circumstances in our life that we don't understand. We can't see how God is working in the midst of our difficulty to accomplish His plans and His purposes. But the reality is if we'll just stop for a second, and we're going to talk more about this in just a minute, but we just stop for a second and just think about Christ and think about the cross and think about what was going on in his life and what he was enduring and what he was experiencing and then put yourself in that place and try and make sense of the situation. We only know because we have hindsight. We can see how God used that most horrible of circumstances and turned it around for the most glorious purpose possible. But when you look at that and you recognize that God was working in that and then you look at your own circumstances and you can know if God could work in that, He can work in what I'm dealing with for His honor and glory. He can work through what I'm dealing with to magnify His grace and His power and His love. And when we are faithful to Him in those difficult situations, it glorifies Him because it demonstrates our trust in Him. But if we react based on our feelings, if we respond based on our sense of fairness, we rob God of His glory. 
Because what we're saying is ultimately, God, I trust you for my eternal salvation, but I don't trust you for the things day to day. I trust you that what Christ did on the the cross is good enough to get me into heaven, but it's not good enough to tell me how to live my life right now. It robs God of his glory, and it takes away from the sufficiency of his love and his purposes and his word. And faith is made to seem a distant and disconnected reality from the rest of life. And we wonder why people don't want to follow Christ when there's this disconnect between what our faith says and what our faith does. It makes it seem as if God's word doesn't really matter to us. God has told us. He tells us in his word in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. He's he's given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We tend to think that God's given given us those things that pertain to godliness. Those things that will will help us be a good person, will help us represent Him well, will help us do those things. But what we forget is it's not just about churchy things. We think our relationship with God is about churchy things. It's not. It's about all of life and churchy things. All of life God has given us instruction for so that we can honor Him in how we live from day to day. And when we fail to live according to faith in the daily activities, then we effectively are are telling people around us that we really don't believe what God has said. Genuine faith always produces actions in accordance with that faith. You don't sit in these pews on Sunday morning. You wouldn't sit in these pews on Sunday morning if you didn't believe they would hold your weight, right? I mean, if you thought they were going to give out, you wouldn't sit in them. You You don't eat food that you don't trust that is relatively safe for you to put into your body. I mean, we might put stuff in and we know it's not really good for us, but we know it's relatively safe. We're going to take it and we're not going to die immediately, and we eat that. See, we act based on what we believe. Every day we make decisions based on what we believe. So why is it so different when it comes to the things of God for us to act in accordance with what God's Word says? If we say we believe God's Word, then we need to act in accordance with what God's Word says. The Bible says it's beneficial for us to obey His Word question is, do you believe it? And do you believe it enough to submit to someone who is an authority over you even when they have wronged you? Do you believe it enough to do what God's Word says so that He can be glorified rather than satisfying your own wounded pride? This is the essence of the instruction that we're given in this passage. Submit to your masters. Employees, submit to employers. Whether or not they treat you the way you think you deserve to be treated. But maintain a good testimony of faith. Trust in God's word. 
But there is more in view here than just the exhortation to submit to your boss. We see also there's an expansion of the expectations. Peter has something much greater in mind than merely submitting to those earthly authorities, although submission is a huge part of this section of Peter's letter. We began a few weeks ago, we talked about submitting to governing authorities in order to silence those who are in opposition. That starts way back in verse 13. Peter begins to talk about the submission, and you know, it's just something, it just, we don't like the word, it's just, you know, it's just culturally, it's uncomfortable for us to talk about submission, and yet Peter spends half of chapter 2 and pretty much all of chapter 3 talking about submission, because a submissive heart to the authorities that God has placed over us in this life is a heart that demonstrates submission to God above all else. But like I said, there's more than merely submission that's going on in this text. He's he's talking not only of submission, he's speaking of endurance. He's speaking of perseverance. He's speaking that our faith is demonstrated, it is demonstrated in submission, there's no doubt. I mean, this, this, that's a central theme of this passage, but it's also about endurance. As Peter starts with talking of, of submission to the, the governing authorities, and he makes it more personal to, to those who are an immediate authority over to you, later on he's going to talk about submission in the family, and, and he just keeps it making it more and more personal. But at the center of it all, it's about reflecting who Christ is. And it's about doing the things that Christ has done before us and expanding that instruction to submit, to understand that it's not just about submitting when you're wronged by someone who's an authority over you, but when you're wronged by anybody. Even if it's not somebody who's an authority over you. There is a need to persevere and to respond in a way that honors God. That's the expanded expectation. And if it's not implicit in, in verses 19 and 20, which I, I think it somewhat is because Peter spends a whole lot more talking about the way you're treated and how you respond than he does about the, the master-servant relationship. But if it's not at least implied in this text, it certainly is when we get into verses 21 through 25 when it starts to look to the example of Christ. Because when we think about what Christ was enduring, when we think about Him as our example, who was He being mistreated by? Everybody, right? It was, it was the governing authorities. It was the religious authorities. But it was also just the common people. It was people all around him who were mocking him and spitting on him and calling him names and, and doing these things. And what did he do? He endured it, right? And if he's our prime example, it's not just about submitting to authority, but it's about persevering through injustice in order that God might be glorified through our faithful responses. And that is so hard to do, as we've been talking about. It's so difficult when we're wounded and we're, and we're angry and, and our pride is hurt and we're emotional. It's so difficult to respond in a way that honors God. But we need to rise above our emotions. And we need to respond in a way that honors God. 
I mentioned at the beginning of the service the, the spotlight on injustice in our country over the past several years. We've seen um, injustices, supposed injustices lead to protests, riots, and even attacks against law enforcement personnel. We've seen some events that have caused that this that have caused these types of responses, some of them involve genuine injustice. There have been um, you know, unjustified harassment, unjustified shootings. Um, these things have happened and people have responded in, in just horrible ways. Some of the retaliation involved real injustice, some involved perceived injustice. But regardless of whether it's real or whether it's perceived, as Christians, our response to injustice around us even when committed against us personally, should not be a response of retaliation, but of perseverance and faith. That's not to say that when we see injustice in the world that we shouldn't take steps to work towards righting injustice. I mean, after all, the Scripture calls us to care for the orphans and the widows. A lot of times there's a lot of injustice that goes on in, in that area. It tells us to care for the poor. There's a lot of injustice that goes on with the poor. And so we are told that we should care for the poor, we should defend the unborn, we should defend the elderly, but we must go about it in a way that honors Christ and reflects submission to Him and not be led by our emotions. Our emotions get us into trouble. I think that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, he says, he says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. You know what? When, when we respond emotionally and we allow our emotions to get the better of us, we're giving the devil an opportunity. We're giving it an opportunity to bring accusations against us. We're giving it an opp opportunity to destroy relationships. We're giving it an opportunity to, to just get his foot in the door and wreak havoc in our heart and in our lives. It's not sinful. Listen, it's not sinful to become angry. That's a natural response. God has given us emotions for a reason, but he expects us to use those emotions to respond in a way that honors him. God doesn't delight in seeing people get hurt, and He doesn't expect that we should like it either, but He does expect that as His children, we will respond in a manner that says, I'm not going to be like those who've wronged me, but I'm going to be like Christ. And we need to focus and to determine in our hearts to respond in a way that honors the Lord Jesus, not allowing our anger to control us or to cause us to act in a way that diminishes our capacity to witness. We need to maintain our reputation for the sake of Christ and for the sake of His church, for the sake of having a testimony for Jesus. And Jesus Himself is given to us as our great example. The example of Christ takes up verses 21 through, through 24. And, and, in these, and in these verses we see His suffering, His sinlessness, His steadfastness, His substitution, His sanctifying work. All of these things come to us to give us an example of how 
what he's done is should impact us and help us to deal with these realities. And we're going to come back tonight and we're going to talk about those specific things and how they are to influence us and how they, they help us to respond in a way that gives glory to God. But right now, I just want you to understand the big picture of Christ's example. And we've, we've talked about it already. The big picture of Christ's example is, is that if Jesus could suffer under persecution, the mocking, the spitting, the beatings, the scourging, and even the crucifixion itself, even though he certainly didn't deserve any of it, perfectly innocent, never did anything wrong, and yet he suffered all of these things, and he did it not just for our sake, but he did it to please his Father. He did it because he knew his obedience would glorify his Father in heaven. Who are we to insist that we have the right to do otherwise? If Christ endured, so must we. Understanding and trusting that our faithfulness is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Romans 12, 19 tells us, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, this, this, is how we, this is how we endure. This is how we endure. We recognize the sovereignty of our Heavenly Father in all situations, and we know that if someone has wronged us, that as His child, He's going to take care of it. That we can trust Him to deal with that person. We can trust Him to deal with our circumstances. We can trust Him to intervene on our behalf. He's promised to deal with those who oppress us and oppose us. He hasn't called us to stand up for our rights, but to submit ourselves to authority as, our, as a sign of our submission to Him. Only through our submission to Him, ultimately, will we experience true victory over our circumstances, and then He is glorified in us. This is our great purpose, to glorify God, to magnify His grace, to lean on His promises so that we might be salt and light in the darkness. So what are you doing with the injustices that you face in this world, in your life? How have you responded in the past but more importantly, how will you respond going forward? God is able to work through the most horrible of circumstances to glorify His name. If He was able to do it through the crucifixion of His Son, He is able to work through your circumstances as well. The only question left is, will you trust Him? How will you respond so that God might be glorified in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
What a challenging word that you've given us this morning. Father, we are, we are weak. And we are prone to respond out of anger and wounded pride. And Father, we are, we are in need of grace daily. Father, help us as recipients of grace to also be givers of grace so that our love for you might be manifest in our responses to those who hurt us and so that you might build for yourself a witness to your glory, to your power, to your majesty. Lord, let faith take hold of our hearts and let it influence everything that we do that you might receive honor and glory through us as your children. And let us not continue, Lord, to try and do things our way, to think that we know better than you do, to think that we understand better than you do, to think that we have an, an insight that you don't have. But let us trust your word and let us cling to your promises and let your love be manifest in us for the glory of your great name. Father, if, if we need to repent of past wrongs, let us do it now. In this moment, Father, as we reflect on our, on our own hearts, let us repent before you and ask for your help. And Lord, let us all seek your help moving forward so that you might continue to be exalted and glorified in us. That as our weaknesses are revealed, that your strength is manifested. Your grace is sufficient for us. Magnify that grace even now in this time of invitation. Father, if there's someone here who needs to repent and come to you this morning, Father, because they just they need your forgiveness, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to come. If someone, Father, is just, just dealing with, with guilt and, and struggling, I pray, Lord, that they would just they would deal with you this morning, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Glory be unto your name. And it's in that name, the most precious name of Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.